This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Monroe. Welcome back to Brojo Online. And today we're going to have a deep look at fear. One of the reasons I wanted to look at this is because over the last year or so, in exploring fear with so many of my clients, I've come to realize that fear is actually far more complicated than I first thought. I used to believe that fear was pretty straightforward. You felt afraid and you reacted accordingly. Sometimes you were just being cowardly. It wasn't something to be afraid of. And other times it was legitimate. But that's only scratching the surface of fear. I did a podcast a long time ago about manipulation, what I learned working in Department of Corrections when I did my manipulation training. And it was essentially that we could boil manipulation down to about four main types or methods, ways that you could manipulate someone. You can invalidate them, you can intimidate them, you can distract them, and you can even use flattery. And it never really occurred to me that a person could manipulate themselves in the exact same four ways until more recently. And that's what I'll be talking about today. I'm going to talk about how fear essentially manipulates you from inside your own mind following these four very effective strategies. And because you don't know that fear is using these strategies, and because part of you can't, maybe can't believe that you can manipulate yourself, in a sense, you won't see it happening. You'll think it's legitimate. You'll think you're having rational thoughts and, and sensations, which is what fear wants you to believe. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how fear uses manipulation and I want to start by planting a couple of seeds in your head that we'll revisit at the end of the podcast. First is understanding what is manipulation. I mean, anything's manipulation. I pick up my phone, I'm manipulating the phone. But the kind of manipulation I'm talking about in this podcast is what you might call negative influence. When you purposefully maneuver something in a way that serves you but hurts the other person. So the key to manipulation is to use dishonesty to trigger an emotion that steers your target's attention away from the right thing to do. So let me say that again. The key to manipulation is to use dishonesty to trigger an emotion that steers your target's attention away from the right thing to do. Okay, You trick them into looking away and putting their energy and focus away from the right thing they need to be doing. And usually with the intention to put their attention and focus towards something, you'd prefer that they do. Now I'm going to talk in this podcast about how fear does this to you. It uses dishonesty to trigger off emotions that steer your attention away from the right thing to do. Trick you into thinking you should be focusing on something other than doing the right thing. I'm going to understand a little bit about the core principles of fear here. Fear is designed to keep you safe, that much is pretty clear. But it's kind of like a poorly programmed robot. If any of you guys have seen, uh, what's the movie with Will Smith? iRobot. You know, they program this robot with these rules, and the rules one of the rules is to protect humans at all costs. The robot, or the IT, the artificial intelligence, then goes on to interpret this rule as meaning 
protect as many humans as possible, which means controlling them. You know, not letting humans have any freedom is the best way to keep them safe. And, and your fear is like that because when your fear tries to interpret what does it mean to stay safe, it comes to the conclusion that safety is what's familiar. That's not necessarily what's the least dangerous to your health or what you're going to, what's going to keep you alive the longest, but just what is the same. What do you know well? You can see this, I often use this example in battered wife syndrome. You know, you'll see someone who's had an abusive spouse, they finally get the courage and, and the support to leave their abusive partner, and then they fall straight into the arms of somebody else who's abusive. And they repeat this pattern over and over again, and it's mind-boggling. Why the fuck would somebody keep putting themselves in such an unpleasant situation? Such a dangerous one. And they're so afraid the whole time, why isn't fear actually preventing them from putting themselves at risk like this? And the answer is because fear is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's keeping the situation the same. Now that situation might be dangerous and abusive, but it's understood. It's known. It's familiar. And that's what your fear... Fear makes so much more sense when you look at it and go, it's trying to keep things the same. When you look at fear and go, it's trying to keep me safe, it doesn't make much sense. Because so often it steers you away from things that are good for you and slows you down in terms of progress. And actually can like, if you followed fear all the time, you'd end up left behind. Your survival would be at risk. But fear isn't trying to make you survive specifically. It's trying to make you stay the same. So fear will react negatively when you have the intention to grow. When you have the intention to do something new and unfamiliar and bold and risky, your fear will react with resistance to that. And it thinks that same is safe. And quite often we don't realize this is happening because we think of fear as fight or flight response. You know, fear as panic, as terror, as adrenaline pumping, as cortisol pumping, heart beating, palms sweating. That's only one of the representations of fear. In fact, it's one of the least used. Fear only goes to that one when it's run out of other options. Fear has got so many better tools in its toolkit than panic and terror. It only uses panic and terror as a last-ditch effort. What I'll be talking about in today's podcast is the many other tools that fear uses, and you won't even know it's fear until you look into it. So let go of the idea that feeling afraid is the only way that fear manifests in you. Start opening your mind to the idea that laziness, procrastination, boredom are all actually secretly fear in disguise. I also want to plant a seed about how fear tells us a story. And to, to demonstrate this, I want to use the, the kind of the metaphor or analogy of an infomercial. You know those nights where you just can't get any sleep or you're staying home from work sick and you watch the programming that nobody else watches, and you see infomercials. You know, maybe it's a new set of knives, or some magic cleaning liquid, or whatever. And you're watching this, and according to the infomercial, this product is light years ahead of its time. It is the top quality, best price product in the market. And you're watching this, and it seems convincing. All the people using the product seem happy, they seem so sad before they found the product. Now that they've got it, their lives are transformed. There's lots of statistics and graphs showing how, how perfect this product is and how well it works. They've got guarantees that just seem to 
give you a sense of no risk that this thing must be so good that they're willing to give one away for free and they're willing for you to get your money back in 30 days. It seems so convincing. But you're a smart person. And you ask yourself, well, if it's so great, why is it on at 3 o'clock in the morning? And if it's so great, why don't the stores sell this? Why do they have to sell it through an infomercial? Why won't they... Why can't they sell it at the Walmart or the warehouse? And these questions start to poke holes in the story. If it's so great, then why am I hearing about it like this? And I want you guys to start applying that critical thinking to your own fear and the story it tells you. If the story is so true, why is it so easy to poke holes in it? And why does it seem to be holding me back? I want you to ask that story. Fear is really trying to help you. To, to make things better for you, then why does it seem to make things harder? And if it's making things harder, maybe the story it's telling you isn't all it's cracked up to be. So we're going to look at four ways that fear controls you, that it uh, manipulates you. And it's the same four ways that you manipulate other people and that they manipulate you. We obviously turn the tools that we use on ourselves once no one else is around. Let's start with the biggest and most common one, invalidation. Now, invalidation, guilt tripping, whatever you want to call it, it's the process of making you doubt your own worth. It's a very, very powerful form of manipulation. You know, a lot of a lot of people grow up really fucked up because their parents use this as a form of, of discipline. You know, this, you're not good enough, that wasn't good enough, you could do better. I'm disappointed in you. I can't believe you did that. This attempt to invalidate you as a person, to generate shame, it's most commonly known as the not good enough story. So invalidation is one of fear's greatest greatest weapons, one of the best tools it's got in the book because it's so fucking powerful. And we'll talk about why that is. But before we talk about why that is, I want to point out straight away how this is a lie. In psychology, we've got cognitive biases, we've got argument fallacies. There's all these ways that the brain just sort of doesn't work properly. And one of those is something called fundamental attribution bias. Now, this fancy term describes how we come up with a cause for other people's behavior without finding out the truth of it. For example, let's say you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off. You think, oh, he did that because he's selfish. You notice you add that because, and then you attribute some negative thing to who he is. He cut me off because he's a dick. He cut me off because he doesn't care about other people. You notice how you don't say, he cut me off because he probably has a good reason. I don't know what that is. You don't say that to yourself, do you? In fact, you're so sure of your guess as to why he did it, that no further arguments required. He's definitely a dick. He's definitely selfish. Case closed. You don't actually explore it. You don't know, well, maybe he's late getting his daughter to the hospital. Maybe he didn't see me in his blind spot. Maybe he panicked because he saw the uh, cutoff point coming up. You don't actually know why he cut you off. The only thing you know is, is that he moved in front of you in the traffic. There's even a possibility that you were the one driving poorly. But your brain doesn't see any of that. It comes up with a reason why he did it, a negative judgmental one, and then believes that reason. Now, when this gets really dangerous is when we turn it on ourselves, where we look at some failure in our life and we assume the cause is us. I go up and I ask someone out on a date, they say no, and my immediate 
conclusion that I come to is there's something wrong with me. I'm unattractive in some way. I'm a loser in some way. I must have creeped them out. This idea that, hey, they would have said yes to somebody else, but me, I'm wrong. I'm bad. I'm awful. That is fundamental attribution bias. It's no different to judging the guy who cuts you off in traffic. You don't really know why somebody said no to you. You made up a reason, but then you believe that reason very strongly. If you do it once, it's no big deal, but you do it day after day, time after time. If every time you fail, your brain goes, this is because there's something wrong with you, and you believe that story. That's how shame is generated. So fundamental attribution bias is the process that creates the not good enough story. You look at something painful in your life, and you say, that happened because of who I am. You don't explore any further, you don't look into the truth of it, like maybe that person rejected you because they've already got a partner, or because they're gay, and they don't like heterosexual relationships, or because, like in my experience, I once asked a girl out, she said no, I felt really bad about it, but then I went back and said, you know, did I upset you, why did you say no? She said, well, I've just come from my father's funeral, I don't feel like being hit on right now. Now, I would have never guessed that being the reason she'd say no. I would have always thought it was something to do with me. Because I never usually ask. And even if I did ask and they did say it's because of you, they don't actually know why they reject somebody. They don't know why they say no. Nobody knows why they really do anything. So the idea that you can guess that something bad in your life happened because there's something wrong with you is so fundamentally flawed and yet you do it all the time. So the not good enough story is when your fear manages to trick you into believing that the painful things in your life are your fault. Now this is a very effective and very meaningful little piece of trickery that your fear does. Because what it does is it creates a measurement system for self-worth. You start to measure yourself based on how poorly things go. Everything, every time something goes wrong, every time it doesn't meet your expectations, or it's painful, or it's frustrating, or whatever it is, your brain chalks that up as to something being wrong with you. And as you look back over on your past, everything seems like it went wrong because of who you are as a person. Everything seemed like it was difficult because there's something wrong with you. A measurement system's been created that invalidates your past. Now this is for a reason. If your fear can create a story that you have always been a fucking loser, well then it's very easy to say there's no reason to trust yourself. There's no return on investment in you taking a risk. I mean, you wouldn't hire someone who failed at everything, would you? And that's what your brain has convinced you, or your mind's convinced you to believe, that you can't be trusted because you're constantly a cause of suffering and pain and crappy outcomes. So your brain manages to sell the story, and then, of course, if you wanted to try some new risky growth-type activity, there's no point. You're not going to jump off a cliff if you can't fly. You're not going to do something risky and dangerous if you're a total fucking loser. Your brain has managed to set up a system of measurement that prevents you from doing anything risky because you can't trust yourself. And even when you do do things well, which you actually do most of the time because you're still alive, your brain can actually invalidate those efforts. So you might get a job 
And your brain will immediately say, yeah, but it could have been a better job, or you could have asked for more money. I mean, the fact that you live day to day is a massive success. Most people who have ever lived are dead, and you're still going. But your brain invalidates that. It says, well, you know, getting up and having breakfast isn't a big achievement. I was like, yeah, you, you know, that, that person wants to go out with you, but they're not the prettiest person you could have gone out with. You always could do better, could do better, could do better. And so even when you succeed, you don't get any points for it. And so this whole system ends up with you not being good enough, and the whole thing's a fucking lie. Why does it do this? It helps to remove guilt. When you start seeing that you're giving up on all the things that you should be doing, and you're not living by your values, and you're sacrificing integrity for comfort and cowardice, you're going to feel guilty. And one way to remove that guilt is to convince yourself that it was impossible anyway. And if you're not good enough, then everything's impossible, and so you're off the hook. If you can convince yourself that you're not good enough to try something, then you're not going to feel guilty about not trying it. Just like you don't feel guilty about not jumping off a cliff. You know you can't fly. It's reasonable to not jump off a cliff. Your brain is trying to set up a system where it's reasonable not to try, not to make efforts, not to take risks, not to be courageous, not to be honest, not to take responsibility. It's saying, why bother? You're not good enough. And I want you to just notice a few things. Notice the total lie. If you're really not good enough, you should be dead. But you're alive. You're not just alive, you're alive and functioning to the point where you're listening to me right now. Do you know how many fucking achievements and successes it took for you to be at that point in life? You've been able to access the internet and recording devices, you've obviously got enough food to survive, it's, it's, it's obvious you must have a roof over your head. You've got so many basics that so many people in the world don't have, and even if they do, you're alive! That means most of the time you must be winning. Because if you aren't winning most of the time, you die. But notice how you invalidate this. You invalidate small achievements. You don't think of survival as an achievement, do you? You always tell yourself it could be better, could be better, could be better. So that all those things that you do do well get written off and dismissed. Even when you, you achieve something by your own standards, notice how quickly you can turn to dismissing it. You might look at something like a goal and go, oh, I really wish I could get a job. And then after a few weeks after getting the job, which you once thought was impossible, you then go, oh, I should have got a better job. I can't believe I only get paid this much. And straight away dismiss it. Notice how other people's criticism is taken at face value. You know, somebody will tell you that you're not good enough in some way, that you're not attractive or not smart or not successful. And you won't question that feedback at all. You'll just take it at face value and be like, yeah, fair enough. You won't question their motives for saying it. You won't question your interpretation of it, whether you heard them properly and understood them properly. You won't question their ethics, whether or not they're doing it for good reasons. And you certainly won't question their expertise. Are they the right person to be giving you this feedback? Like when I first started my business and, and things weren't, you know, they weren't going very well, pretty rough, uh, at least financially, I had people saying, yeah, well, maybe you're not cut out for this. None of them were coaches, none of them were entrepreneurs. And yet I was listening to them as if they knew what the fuck they were talking about, as if they were saying it to help me. When in reality they were just saying it so that I'd come back to their level and they'd feel more comfortable. 
And notice how you'll dis you you take people's criticism at face value, but you'll dismiss positive feedback. Someone says you did well, you'd be ah, oh, I got lucky. If if you fail, it's your fault. But if you succeed, it's somebody else's intervention. You never give yourself credit. I want you to notice this trick that fear is playing on you. You may have been taught this trick. Maybe you had a uh, a guilt tripping parent. Or maybe, you know, I've seen a lot of teachers use invalidation to try and motivate people. It seems to be a, a global belief that if you make people feel bad about themselves, it helps them somehow. I don't know where people got this from because there's nothing to back it up. But you'll notice that you manage to make yourself feel like it's not worth backing yourself. But in order to do this, you have to ignore the truth. You have to ignore all your successes and just focus on these little points of frustration that you wish were better. And in doing so, you manage to convince yourself that you're not good at all. It's a great little trick that fear plays on you, and it works like a charm. But notice, you have to believe the story for it to work. So that was invalidation. Which brings us to the next one. The next trick that uh, fear likes to play, intimidation. Something I call the Mount Everest effect. Now this is a, this is a much nastier trick. By fear, because at least fear with invalidation, it's negative. You're like, oh, something's working against me here. You can see that something's against you. But with intimidation, or specifically with this thing I call the Everest effect, fear starts by pretending to be supportive. So fear won't just say, go for it. It'll say, go for it all. And you'll think it's not fear speaking. You'll think it's motivation or values, integrity speaking. You know, say, yeah, go start that massive business. Go go find the, the girl of your dreams. You know, go get a six-pack of abs. It sounds like it's supporting you. But hidden inside that support is a huge impossible obligation, which is the real trick. It's like if you wanted to get into climbing and fear goes, yeah, go climb Mount Everest right now. Imagine how intimidating that would feel. The pressure the obligation, the sense of impossibility. Well, that's what fear is going for. It wants you to be intimidated by the size of the goal to make it too big so you don't even start. It does this in a few ways. One is it turns what is essentially a massive process of tiny actions into one huge action. So instead of saying, hey, go reach out to one person and offer them some coaching, it says, start a coaching business. This huge, massive thing with no no real specificity to it. You don't even know how to start that thing. And it seems like something that takes years to do and you've got to achieve it overnight. It's massive. But you don't think it's fear saying this because it sounds motivating. Like, go for it. Yeah. Awesome. It, it demands full completion before any reward. It says, yeah, go be a coach. But you don't get to call yourself a coach or feel good about being a coach. Until you're making a million dollars a year coaching. Till then, you're a fucking loser. Fear does this in a very subtle way. You know, it turns something that can be done one little piece at a time by anyone into something that nobody could achieve. But the problem is it then compares you to people who have done it. So it will say, go be a coach, which is impossible. It's too big. And you say, I can't. It's too hard. I don't know how to do it. And then your fear will go, well, that guy's a coach, and so is that guy, and that girl, and that person, and all these thousands of people are coach, and you think it's too hard? 
Maybe it is too hard for you. Maybe you're a fucking loser. And it goes back to invalidation again. So it scares you with the size of something, which again is a fiction. Starting a coaching business is as simple as finding one person and saying hi to them. But it turns into this huge thing that somebody took years to build. Compares you to that thing. It turns one climbing step into Mount Everest, knowing that that will stop you from taking that first climbing step. And that's the point. The only thing it's trying to do with this Everest effect is stop you from taking a single step. Your fear knows that if you were to take a step and see that it's actually not that hard, then you might take another step, and then another, and your whole world will change. Your fear doesn't want to encourage that kind of behavior. So it knows it only needs to delay you one day, one week, one month. It only needs to delay you one second. So the point of the intimidation is to just prevent you from starting or even from just from gaining momentum. Quite often it will let you start, it will do a couple of steps, and then it will show you how far you've got to go. And that will put you off. So you'll be like, okay, I'm going to be a coach. And will be like, alright, go for it. Have a crack. You can go for it for a week. And then, then your brain's like, so, you made a million dollars yet? Do you have like a full business yet? Do you know everything about coaching yet? And you're like, uh, actually, no. Your fear's like, ah, oh, well, you should by now. So maybe, uh, maybe time to wrap it up. So your fear does is it tricks you into thinking that what you're trying to achieve is some huge, massive thing that's impossible and that other people have achieved it, which makes you a loser. All it's trying to do is delay you one more day. Fear can do this forever. It can delay you until the end of your life. It doesn't need to put you off completely. It just needs to put you off for now. And it can do that every second of every day and make sure that you go for years without doing something. It's very effective that way. It can also do this thing where it allows you to start and then puts you off. allows you to start and then puts you off. And this creates a pattern that serves the invalidation story. For example, every time I tried to quit smoking, it would let me quit smoking. They would go, oh, you're going to spend your whole life being stressed because you can't smoke. And so then I'd start smoking again. And they'd let me do that time and time again. And now I've got a pattern of failing to quit smoking. It's very hard to trust myself now. I've failed before. I'll probably fail again, at least according to my brain. So the intimidation and the invalidation work together. It's a tag team of lies getting you to think that you can't handle the task. Even though if you look clearly and carefully, I would have been like, hey, I've actually quit smoking six times. I can totally quit smoking. All I've got to do is keep doing what I already did. i just got to quit. You know, i just got to go another five minutes without a cigarette. How hard is that? I can do that for the rest of my life and I'd end up being completely smoke-free, which is what did work for me in the end cigarettes but when my brain goes but you you'll never have another smoke it makes it like this whole life thing i'm going to get a whole life of cigarette withdrawal all at once it's too much too much for a human to handle so that's invalidation and intimidation very effective and so often you won't actually feel afraid while it's happening you won't feel noticeable sensations of fear you'll just feel frustration overwhelm and other forms of pain a lot of disappointment now let's say that's not working on you. Well, fear's got many other tricks up its sleeve. Let's say you're like one of those diehard extroverts. You're like, fuck it, I don't care if I'm scared. I'm going for it anyway. So even though it seems intimidating, even though it seems impossible, even though you think you know, you're know you a loser, or maybe you've got really high self-esteem and the invalidation story just doesn't work on you. Intimidation doesn't work on you. Well, fear's got a much better thing to work on you. Distraction. 
If it can't turn you off the path, it'll just simply shift your attention a little bit. Again, all it needs to do is a little bit. One of the great ways it does it is by asking you what seems to be rational questions. I had this come up in my uh, one of my nice guy groups recently. This guy has been procrastinating a lot, and his mind keeps asking him, why do you keep procrastinating? And off he goes in search of the answer. He searches the internet, he asks his friends, he looks back over his behavior, why do I keep procrastinating? Why? Why? Without realizing that in trying to answer the question, he is procrastinating. By searching for the answer to his procrastination, he's still not doing the shit he needs to be doing. The search to answer the procrastination is the procrastination. And this is what fear loves to do. Ask you a question that sends you on a wild goose chase. And that's what I call the distraction method, the wild goose chase. It asks you a question that looks like it's a helpful question to answer. That once you find the answer to this question, you're going to be fucking onto it. You're going to be killing it. But there is no answer to this question. You'll look for the rest of your life. It's too deep, philosophical, too nuanced. You know, if you tried to ask the question, why am I the way I am right now? You'd have to answer, because of every single thing that's ever happened in my entire life. Because you have no idea what influenced you into what. Everything contributed. But your brain will tell you, no, there's actually just one point in your life that matters. Go find that point. And off you go, panting away on your little search. No chance of finding the answer. You know, I used to get this with my nice guy syndrome. I'd go, why do you have nice guy syndrome? Boom, I'm back into my past. Is it because this girl treated me badly? Is it because people laughed at my jokes so much I thought it was good for me? I'm off looking for this answer, and yet not realizing that fear has just put me off from doing what I need to be doing. Very successfully. It's put me off. Sometimes fear will even ask you to explore fear itself. Go, why am I so afraid of this? Why do I feel anxious right now? And off you go, trying to find that why answer. Little do you know that that successfully stopped you from facing your fear. So distraction is when you're off answering a question that even if you did answer, you're not going to move anywhere forwards. It just looks like you will. You think, okay, I'm too nervous to go talk to that stranger at the business networking networking event. Why am I too nervous? You think, oh, if you figure out why I'm too nervous, that you'll suddenly be able to talk to them. But you never actually lack the ability to talk to them. The only thing stopping you from talking to them is your bullshit search into why you're not talking to them. All you got to do is walk over there and open your mouth. It might not be pretty or articulate or, or, or charming, but it could happen. Your nervousness is not so much that you can't move your legs, in most cases, but your fear's like, no, we need this nervousness to go away. So first you better go figure out the answer to this impossible question, this riddle. Quite often the way fear will distract you is by demanding a level of expertise before you've even begun. I call this the know-how problem, or the how-to problem. It tricks you into thinking that you lack the knowledge of how to do something, and that you must acquire that knowledge before you start. It seems like such a reasonable story on paper. So you can't start your business until you know how to start a business. You can't go ask that person out until you know how to be a bit more socially confident. You can't apply for the promotion until you know how to be a manager. It seems really reasonable and rational. You know, like, of course, you just got to do a bit of prep work before you get started. But it's a fucking trick, because you can start anything without knowing shit. You don't need to know how to start something, ever. You don't need to know how to do the next step, ever. You just got to try it. Get it wrong, doesn't matter. 
you'll learn from getting it wrong. The, the most sure way to learn something is trial and error until it works. There's no knowledge needed to do trial and error. You just make something up and do it. You know, when I used to be terrified of women, my brain would say, you need to know how to talk to them. And yet I've been talking to people my whole life. I know how to open my mouth and make words happen. That's the minimum I need to know to talk to someone. So there's no further knowledge required. And yet my brain would say that that was a reasonable excuse to not talk to someone I'm intimidated by. So you get into this loop, you can't answer the expertise without trying, and yet you're not going to try until you answer it. Keeps you the same. Very successful move by fear. Keeps you the same yet again. So it distracts you with this question that can't be answered yet again. How to do it? Well, you're not going to know how to do it until you go out there and get it wrong and try. But fear will convince you, no, there's a right way to do it, and you should wait until you figure out that right way. Little do you know, of course, that, that finding that right way will take you 10 years, whereas if you just got started, you'd figure it out in two months. And if that doesn't work, the distraction technique, it will just confuse your priorities. This is often known as perfectionism. If your brain doesn't want you to start something new, it will just turn up the importance of everything. Suddenly washing the dishes just becomes excruciatingly important. Suddenly checking all your emails and replying to all of them has become very important. Folding your clothes becomes very important. I used to think, huh, I thought starting my business was very important, but suddenly everything's very important. I've got to do it all right and all perfectly. Suddenly success is very important and failure is very bad. Great little trick by fear into convincing you to get too busy to get started. I promise you there is no such thing as too busy. Every human on the planet has the same amount of hours per day. So if anybody's killing it in an area that you want to be killing it in, they simply know how to prioritize. That's it. That's all they know. So if you suddenly think, I don't have the time to do this, what you're really saying is, I've let fear trick me into getting busy. I've let fear trick me into thinking everything's important, so that I become too busy to do what is actually important. So distraction is just that little nudge, that little send you off on a chase. Again, with the effect of just delaying you a little bit longer, which is all it needs to do. Now, sometimes even that doesn't work or doesn't work effectively. Like you get distracted and then you come back. You go do the dishes and then you come back. You're a strong, courageous person who wants to smash through fear and brute force. Well, fear still isn't done because fear's got endless tricks up its sleeve. And the next one is flattery. Now, smart people know how to use flattery for manipulation. You want to manipulate someone, make them feel good about themselves in your presence. It will make them want to see more of you. It's a very standard trick. You can use this to train a dog. Give it a treat when, it's, when it uh, does what you want. It'll do what you want more. And people use this on each other all the time, but your fear will also use this on you. And this is where it gets really hard because there will be no sensations of fear occurring. You'll actually feel pleasure. And that's, I think, the best trick that fear pulls, is it makes you feel good. So you've got no idea that fear's even involved. You think, I feel good. I cannot be afraid right now if I feel good. And the trick it does with flattery is that it basically makes you think that you've earned these rewards, and you're entitled to these rewards, and these rewards are things that will keep you still. So if your brain can make you think that it's rewarding to stay the same, 
then uh, fears essentially controlled you from you know avoiding the unfamiliar so one of the things is it will tell you the story about how you've earned a reward of some kind and it will tell you that you've earned it simply because you feel a certain way you feel tired bored frustrated upset disappointed sad your brain will tell you you know what because you feel that way you must have earned a break you must have earned a bit of a chill out some time out now sometimes this is true sometimes stress and frustration is a sign that you've you know done enough but if you're not moving forward on the important things and you're very very busy then odds are your brain's just combined distraction it's got you real busy and then use that as an excuse to stop you doing anything actually important by rewarding yourself for that busyness. You know, so you come home from work where you've just been doing a whole bunch of meaningless shit instead of what you should be doing, and you're exhausted, and your brain goes, you know, if anyone's earned six hours of Netflix, it's you, son. Get in there. Eat a big slab of chocolate while you're there, smoke some weed, watch a bit of porn after you're done. You've earned it. And you waste away whatever spare time you had to be tackling those issues you need to be tackling in reward time. You've been flattered by your fear, like like you've been doing some great accomplishments. You know, you come off the battlefield victorious. When in reality, if you went back through what you've done, you've done fuck all that's important and valuable. You've just done a lot of noisy, busy stuff that's worn you out. And sometimes it doesn't even need that much. It'll take a small thing that you've done well that was actually aligned with your values and heap a massive amount of rewards on you. And those rewards are so detrimental that you actually go backwards. A classic one that comes up in my life is I'll go to the gym and then my brain says, well, that's a justification to eat a whole bar of chocolate. So I'll just undermine any fucking gains I made at the gym with the reward I had for going to the gym. Somebody will go out and push themselves socially. Some you know, shy, introverted guy will go out and meet a bunch of new people, come home a bit exhausted because a lot of fear and anxiety involved. And his brain will go, you know what? You've earned a week to yourself. Get the Xbox out. You're not talking to anyone for a week. You fucking champion. You earned it. And off you go. And you're lost. And you go backwards. You're now more scared to initiate with somebody socially because you've had so much time away and you've gotten rusty which is what your brain wanted in the first place, or should I say what your fear wanted. It wants you to stay the fucking same and it will do whatever it can to convince you to do that. One of the great things that flattery is, is used for to, to trick you into staying the same is to trigger off your addictions. Your fear knows it just needs to get you started on something for you to binge. There's certain things that you'll binge on, right? Maybe you're a YouTube binger. Once you start watching, you just can't stop. Maybe you're a potato chip binger like I was. Once you open the pack, you're finished, right? You're going to eat three more packs. Uh, maybe you're a drug or alcohol binger. Maybe uh, you're a porn binger. Now, your fear doesn't need to convince you to do much. It just needs to convince you to get started. And I'll often do this with this false reward thing. You've had a hard day. What's one YouTube video going to do? You've earned it. Knowing that if you watch one, you're going to watch 50, and you're going to waste the rest of your night. Your fear acts like a pimp, gives you a free hit so that you become hooked, and then you have to pay for it. And this all serves the other, other stories. If you spend your whole night watching YouTube, then the next day you feel like a failure who isn't good enough. So you invalidate yourself again. And this whole thing, fear creates the story that it made up. It validates its own bullshit by getting you to behave in a way that it can then use against you. 
It's classic manipulation, and you've probably been falling for it your whole life. We all do. This is how fear works, right? Because most things aren't actually dangerous. Your fear can't go around saying, actually, try whatever you like, because you'll be fine. Because then fear's not doing its job. It needs to convince you that everything's fucking dangerous. And it knows it can't do that with just pure terror. You know, the greatest dictators in the world didn't just do it on pure fear, right? They did it with flattery and distraction. You look at someone like like Trump. He isn't going around making everyone afraid of him blatantly. He's not intimidating all the time. But he does a lot of distraction, doesn't he? He's constantly changing the story about where we're supposed to be focused. We have no idea what he's actually doing anymore. He's flattering people all the time, flattering himself most of all. But he uses all of these techniques, and you can see it so easily when somebody else does it. But it's so hard to see when your own mind is doing it to you. It seems so real then. But I want you to open your mind. It's like an infomercial. It seems real, but it must be bullshit. When it really hits you is what I've uh, sort of already uh, alluded to, which is when fear combines these techniques and uses them in sequence. And I actually, I, I shared the four that I shared today in that order because I believe that fear often follows that sequence one after the other in a loop. So it might start with invalidation, especially if you're a person with low confidence. You've been telling yourself the not good enough bullshit story your whole life. You really believe it. So it just goes straight to the thing that's easiest, you know. Invalidate him, he won't get started. But notice how that actually leads to intimidation as well. So if I get invalidated by my fear, it also increases the size of the task. If I'm not good enough, it's that much harder to do the task. So being not good enough also is intimidating. So if my fear goes, well, actually, a lot of people could do that task, but it's too big for you. It's combining, you know, invalidation with intimidation. So now I'm getting a double hit. It's two stories to believe there, and therefore I'm twice as likely to believe it. It almost seems justified. It's like when you provide evidence for a false assumption. You know, if I'm if I'm a racist and I say, oh, black guys are thieves, and I go, see, there's one black guy who stole a car, it looks like I've proven my point. But actually, it's all based on a false assumption. So it's the same thing. Like, if your brain manages to convince you that you're not good enough, which is a lie because you're still alive, then it's easier to convince you that the task is too big for you because you're not good enough. It makes the not good enough point sound like pure fact, just because it came secondary to another point. It's a, it's a argument um, trick that a lot of people use in debates, and it's totally horseshit. You can see how intimidation also increases distraction. So your brain can intimidate you with the size of the thing, and the best way it can do it is to make it look like a lot of different things to do. So your brain will go, you, you should start a business. So... You've got to think of a name, you've got to find your first 400 billion clients, you've got to register as a business, you've got to learn how to do your taxes, uh, you've got to start a million different Facebook groups because that's so important, and on and on and on, and you're just like, wow, there's a lot of stuff to do, should I look at that, or maybe I should look at that, maybe I should do a blog first, maybe I should do this, and off you go, running around, like when I first started my business, I spent so much time designing my website and writing blog posts and doing social media none of which actually fucking matters for a coaching business. All that matters is I get someone into a conversation and coach them. whole business is based on that. But my brain made me think I had to do all this other stuff. And it kept me really, really busy. What was I not doing? Getting into conversations and coaching people. 
was doing all this other shit instead. I was intimidated by the size of the shit. I felt this obligation to get it all done perfectly. And in doing so, my fear successfully prevented me from actually getting into coaching, which is what I was most scared of me doing. This distraction, and, and this is you know plays on from that example, because I was doing lots of small, ultimately pointless things, my, my fear could then flatter me. It goes, look how much work you've done. You're a good boy. You deserve a break. And so it would reward me for all the stuff that didn't actually help. So first it invalidates me. It says, I don't know if you're ready to be a coach. And then it intimidates me. Because being a coach requires all this stuff that you got to do that is just totally made up. And so it's distracted me. Well, you got to do this, and then you got to do this, and you got to do that. And then when I start doing all that stuff it's told me to do, it flatters me and rewards me. Well done, you did all this stuff. And the whole time it's managed to stop me doing the one thing that actually matters, the one thing I'm most scared of, which was coaching people. It's a massive elaborate story, it works very well, to get me away from the one thing I need to be doing. And even then it loops back around. So I'll do all this stuff and I'll get rewarded for it, and then I'll look and I'll be like, fuck, my coaching business still hasn't moved forward at all. And then the not good enough story starts again. And my fears set this whole thing up, and it just goes looping round and round and round, and the whole thing is based on nothing. It's a total lie. There was nothing ever stopping me from reaching out to a person and saying, hey, do you want some coaching? I didn't lack anything to get started in that way. But my fear managed to turn it into this huge monstrosity of a story. And I was so locked into the story trying to understand it without realizing, hey, you know, I'm watching an infomercial. This is all bullshit. I don't need to buy these knives or the special cleaning product. I just need to get on with some coaching. So let's kind of summarize and wrap this up and have a look at what you need to do about it. The first thing you need to understand is that fear lies. It's all a lie. Everything is a fiction. If you haven't actually taken the actions you know you need to be taking, then you've fallen for a fiction. That's the best assumption you can make. You've been tricked. And because it seems so real, that just shows you how good the tricking is. You've been well played. You've been absolutely conned and owned. Doesn't make it any more real. Fear cannot speak in facts, because there's no fact that stops you doing what you need to do. There's nothing that stops you living by your values, there's nothing that's really that threatening. You could do at least a little bit safely, always. So if you've been convinced that it's somehow unsafe to get moving, you've been lied to. And fear knows it. Fear knows that nothing you do right now is actually that dangerous. So it can't say that. It can't say, oh, you better not start your coaching business because it will be very slightly uncomfortable to get started. Because that's not going to scare you off. That's not a good argument. So it needs to talk in fiction. And it needs to say, oh, if you don't get it right, you're going to end up homeless and everyone's going to judge you and blah, blah, blah. It's this massive thing. And it will throw in facts. This is what uh, infomercials and conspiracy theorists do. It will use a few facts to sell the assumption of fiction. It will say, you can't get started on coaching business. Because 9 out of 10 coaches fail. Now that might be a fact. But the assumption that you can't get started is a lie. So the fact doesn't matter. You can be the 1 out of 10 easily. In fact, those other 9 just simply fell for the lie. But it tells us, because of this, you must be this. And you don't challenge the first thing, like, wait. So it only ever speaks to you in a fiction. And, and you've got to understand, fear only has to do one thing and one thing only. 
delay you. It just has to put you off a little bit longer. And your fear has endless stamina. It can come up with stories and tricks and manipulation forever. It never gets tired. It never gets bored. It can delay you one second at a time. And sometimes you'll have noticed this, how you procrastinate like one small piece of shit action at a time. Like, God, one more YouTube video, one more scroll through Facebook, one more porn, one more chocolate bar. You just, your fear is just like pushing it back one minute at a time. Your fear has the patience to do this. It's only ever doing one thing, delaying you. And that's how you can spot fear. When a thought comes into your head, a suggestion, an urge, an emotional push towards something, ask yourself, would doing that thing delay me? And if the answer is yes, you're in fear town. It's very simple. You know, when your fear goes, you know what, you should, you should figure out why you procrastinate. You go, if trying to figure out procrastination, would that delay what I'm trying to do right now? The answer is yes. Now, there will be a time where fear becomes helpful, where you will establish a working relationship with fear when it delays you in a way that you need to be delayed. But you can be sure right now, unless there's lots of things going wrong with your attempts, all these new wild actions you're taking are bringing out consequences, you know, if that's not happening, then fear stopping you from starting and fear is being unhelpful right now. Make a mess before you clean it up. Fear will help you clean up messes, but you've got to make the mess first. Otherwise, fear will help you clean up fictional messes that haven't happened yet. And that's just a delay. See, fear needs you to believe the story it's selling for it to work on you. If you don't believe the story it's selling, fear's pretty ineffective at stopping you. You've got to think of it like a magician saying, now watch my hand closely, you'll see there's nothing in it. And realize that by watching that hand, you're missing the trick that's happening in the other hand. Misdirection is the classic use of fear. It's how magicians work. They tell you to look somewhere so you don't look to where the shit's happening. Your fear says, look at this so that you don't see that you're being delayed. And you've got to ask yourself, am I being delayed? If your fear has asked you a question or put you off or got you planning something that you haven't started yet, you've already fallen for the trick. You're already like, da-da, abracadabra, the trick's already happened, it's over. You need to pick up on this quickly. Like I said at the start, the key to manipulation is to trigger an emotion that steers your attention away from the right thing to do. That's what your fear does. It triggers an emotion, guilt, confusion, annoyance and frustration, even pleasure, so that you look away from what you're supposed to be doing and go towards something else. And it can do that to you all day long. The best thing it does is get you to try and solve a problem that has not yet happened, so that you stay still here and now. The solution? Take action. Sounds weird, but all you need to do is anything. Anything that is aligned with the right thing you need to be doing. The most important thing you need to be doing. I've got a few questions that you can use to figure out what that thing is when your fear is being really noisy and distracting. Here's one. What do I need to do right now that I would be proud of tomorrow? It's very hard for fear to trick you with that question. Because you need to be proud of this thing tomorrow. You're not going to be proud of scrolling through YouTube. You're not going to be proud of answering a question that can't be answered. right? But you would be proud of doing something. 
You know, and that's the key element. What do I need to do right now that I'd be proud of tomorrow? Another one, if I was unaffected by fear, what small action would I take right now? It's funny how obvious where fear is holding you back if you just pretend what it would be like not to have it in your head. You just simulate. If I turned fear off, what would I do? The answer usually jumps right in there. This is why I like to use questions, because it triggers off the neocortex where there's no fear existing. Fear is in the brainstem and in the limbic system. And so in the neocortex is the only part of the brain that can answer questions. So when you say, if I was unaffected by fear, what small action would I take right now? The rational part of your mind kicks in and can quite quickly answer it before fear jumps in and smothers it. And so often, there's only one simple answer to that. There's usually just one thing you need to be doing right now. Even if that thing is uncertain and unskilled and unpracticed, you still know what it is. And I use the word small to deal with the intimidation factor. What small thing do I need to do right now? Rather than what huge task do I need to overwhelm myself with to not get started? Another question. If I could safely make a mistake and then go back in time to correct it, what would I try to do right now? So fear is often trying to prevent a problem that's going to happen in the future, a fictional problem. So you can ask yourself, well, if I could actually clean up that problem, if I could create a problem and then go back in time so it never happened, what risk would I take? What would I try to do? So often that's the answer to what you really need to be doing. And you can do it without needing to fix it. And if none of those questions work, here's my last bonus question. How could I purposely trigger more fear to grow my courage? I used to use this one all the time when I was working on my social courage. I often couldn't think of a good reason to go and talk to a stranger because my fear was too loud. But if I asked myself, what could I do to face fear more to grow my courage? The answer was just go talk to a stranger. I didn't need that to go well. I just need to go talk to them because I was scared of doing it. It would increase my anxiety to do it. So if nothing else, think of something that would increase your anxiety on purpose with an action so that at the very least you come out of this more courageous and less held back by fear through simple exposure. So that's it. That's my thoughts on how fear manipulates us, how, what I've seen in myself and, of course, in my clients over and over again. All these stories you believe hold you back. None of them are true. You have to believe in them for them to hold you back. Sometimes you can't help but believe in them, but even if you do believe in them, it doesn't stop you from taking action. And once you know that, you'll become limitless. Thank you so much for listening. Get in touch if you have any further questions. Dan at brojo.co.nz. Share this around if it was helpful, and I'll see you all for the next one. Cheers. Cheers.